Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. This morning we're beginning a a, a new series of messages entitled Profiles of Passion. And we did a little bit of a warm-up about three weeks ago when I did a thing called Prelude to Passion. By the way, that's King David. Man, is he buff. I'm telling you. He's later on in life. This is after Bathsheba. So anyway, uh, we did a bit of a warm-up to this series a few weeks ago when we did a study of passion from the Song of Solomon. And we we believe, listen, one of the reasons we're doing this uh, at a time when it seems like COVID has ripped the passion out of a lot of the church because of all the change and all those kinds of things. We believe that Christians need to be people of passion, right? For 2,000 years, the church has been a passionate church. But I, wanna, I just want to explain what I mean by passion here. Here's a definition of passion for you. Passion is the having of intense affection for someone or something. See, my wife isn't here this morning, so I can brag on her a bit. Um, I am passionate for my wife, all right? Now, sometimes, even more than often, I express that passion rather stupidly. (laughs) And she adjusts me. Uh, but, But she knows it's there. She knows it's there. So when we looked at the Song of Solomon, we drew out this intense affection that God has for his people. And we looked at the intense, intense affection that we as his people are to have for God. And, and uh, I mean, do you realize, you know, I, I was with uh, Judy, uh, Judy and Bob in, a, in a, a debriefing session about two years ago. And, and I, I remember saying something like to both of them, I, I just don't, sometimes I don't understand the love of God for me. I, I know God loves me intellectually, but to be able to receive that love uh, in, a, in, a, in a visceral kind of way, it kind of escapes me. And Judy and Bob, you guys said, what? <laughs> you know? and, and I said, mean, you, like, you're conscious of that all the time and it's something you're experiencing. They said, oh yeah, like, it was like having salt and pepper or, on your eggs in the morning. And, and, uh, and I thought, man, they got something I ain't got. And I really, it launched me. Just that little incident launched me on an, an intentional uh, prayer, uh, dialing down in prayer to, to understand the affection of God for me. You know what? If you ask God about his affection for you, it works, right? How many of us really know God intense, intensely, intensely loves us. How many of us really know that God intensely is, is having this affection for us all the time, such that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life? I mean, we, 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 we if you will, chant these things. We, we have these, these rote quotes that we make from scripture, but at the end of the day, right now, for every one of us here, there is a God loving us beyond what we can ask or think. How cool is that? Our responsibility is to reciprocate, right? And so uh, I began to think about that because I've always had passion for Trish, 
And I've always had passion for God, but never understood the passion that he has for me. So to really launch into this series on passion, I want to begin with the second most key passion we as believers are to have in our lives, to harbor in our lives. And it's a sub subject, I dare say, we don't like really associate with zeal or passion so much. Uh, it, we, we talk about passion for God, passion for the house of God, passion for God's people, passion for the bride, passion for the broom, pa groom, passion for, for the second coming of Jesus and all those kinds of passions. But when we talk about the scriptures, you notice I took two modes of operation there. When we talk about the scriptures, uh, I reckon that we admit, all of us would admit to the centrality of this thing in a life of faith and in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, the, in the church itself. But I rarely hear people talking about a passion for this thing called the Bible. I rarely hear that, you know. And so this morning we're going to talk about God's people, that's us, having a passion for the Word of God. Amen. So, um, and the peculiar title I've given to this message is For the Love of Love's Word. And let me tell you why I title it that way. We can't adore the Bible the way we adore God in worship, where there's this transcendent sense of something going on, a little bit of ecstasy, it's experiential, there's an engaging. But at the end of the day, worship usually isn't intellectual, unless we're we're singing an old hymn that has doctrinal kind of significance. You know, we're kind of getting into the presence of God. It's experiential. It is that kind of thing. But, but see, we can't engage God passionately in, in, in worship the way that we engage God passionately in the Word because the Word is a Word. In other words, to... to, to, to Engage God through the scriptures itself means engaging God through language, which by definition means that there has to be a measure of reason added to faith in order for us to be able to move into that engaging and experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is power in the scriptures. Are you there? So we tend not to think in terms of passion. I want to I want to ask everybody here, whenever I ask a question and say, well, you raised your hands if nobody raises their hands because they figure I'm not going to waste my effort. Anyway, but I want you to do that. I want you to do that. Here's an engaging question. And when you engage the scriptures in devotions or in Bible study or in a meeting or listening or to a teaching, how many of you feel mostly like you're engaging a rule book for your life? In other words, how to live life, how to behave. How, how many of you feel that way? Raise your hands. Okay. All right. About 10 people maybe? Okay, that's cool. Um, and that's not wrong. I'm not, there's, no, there's no right or wrong answer here. When you do that, when you read the scriptures, how many of you feel more like you're engaging an old friend? How many? Okay, it's about... 20 people. How many of you read your Bibles? <laughs> ah, well then what are you doing? <laughs> now, if I queried, I was interested in getting a reaction to that. Because when I pick up my scripture, it's an old friend. It's an old friend. It speaks to me, I speak to it. We engage. Are you there? 
And so I, I, I know that if I queried you guys and said this morning and gals, if I ask each one of you to raise a hand, I won't do that. If you believe that the Bible is the word of God, and, and I think you're, most of your hands would go up there, maybe a couple, maybe not. Uh, but if I ask you if you believe it has authority in your life or it's the ultimate authority of faith and practice, most of you would, would raise your hands. Hey, it's the, yeah, it's the, it's the doctrinal statement of the church. It's that kind of a thing. Now, I want to just take a little, I want to take that thought and I want to go somewhere with it in the scriptures. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, 29, there's this little interaction between Jesus and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a party of, of sort of liberal theologians in the first century. And they came to Jesus with a Bible riddle and they wanted to trick him. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, so they tried to trick Jesus into denying the resurrection. Now, for the Sadducees, the Bible was mostly a rule book, all right? But look at how Jesus responds to them when he responds to them. He says this, beginning in verse 29. By the way, for those of us who understand the scriptures as a rule book, certainly is, yeah? Measure of faith and practice. But for those of us who understand the scriptures are an old friend, it is as well, huh? It can take us somewhere, right? So in verse 29, Jesus answers the Sadducees and said, look, you are wrong. Now, Jesus is rarely that bold with people that he's encountering. He's more bold with the Pharisees, but that's another story. But he's rarely that bold. He says, you are wrong. That word wrong here means you've drifted from the truth. That word wrong means you're deceived. Jesus rarely pushes back in this kind of way. That's a pretty strong statement. And then he tells them why. He, Jesus says, because you know, you know, neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Well, that's really kind of a, a, an affront. What do you mean? They study the scriptures all the time. They argue the scriptures all the time. It's part of their life. They're invested in the scriptures, but they're invested merely culturally. Are you there? And the word to know here is an interesting word. It means to know in a biblical sense. It means to be intimate with. It means to have a relationship with. And Jesus says, you don't know the scriptures that way. Neither do you know the power of God that way. And so then he goes on to correct them and says, as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what, what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. That's interesting because Jesus exegetes. He interprets the Bible intellectually right there by saying, by, by focusing on that, that subject and verb, I am. Saying God is the I am. If he is the I am of Isaac and Jacob and Abraham, he will be the God, of, the God I am of every one of us forever. Now, we're not going there this morning, but everybody here convinced you are going to be resurrected. It doesn't matter if I can convince you or not. It's going to happen, and you will be convinced one day. Huh? <laughs> all right. So other than the fact that Jesus affirms all of our resurrections, every one of us, every one of us, there is something yet really essential here that I want us to go to, and that's this. When we engage the word of the Lord, that is the Bible, 
we are supposed to know it, right? Personally, as well as the power of God that it contains and expresses, right? The Bible, brothers and sisters, the Bible ain't like any other book. Are you there? It's like uh, Paul tells Timothy, it is God-breathed. As a matter of fact, he says, every word of it is God-breathed. Theopneustos is the the, the word in Greek, and it means that every word, the I is breathed by God, the am is breathed by God. It's it's, it's It's a radical thinking about any piece of literature. So Paul writes to the Corinthian church using that same word to know that Jesus used here with the Sadducees. By the way, they didn't believe in the resurrection is why they were so sad, you see, right? (laughs) Paul says regarding this process of knowing, what is it to know? He says, wherefore henceforth, and I'm I'm quoting from the King James, so it won't be up on on, on the screen, but I'm doing it for effect because I love the way the King James translates this. Paul says, wherefore, henceforth, we know no man after the flesh. Paul is saying, now that we've known Jesus, we know no man after the flesh. Talking about knowing here. And Paul says, yes, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, we know him no more after the flesh. There is a deeper knowledge. There is an intimacy to be had. There is a relationship to be had. There is transformation to be had. That's the kind of knowledge that we need to come to the scriptures with, right? So Paul is saying that there are those who know Jesus in a human way, but there are those who know him in a transforming way. And it's the same, watch this, it's the same with the Bible. So the Bible is a different animal than the best psychology book we could ever read. The best self-help book we could ever read. Uh, the Bible can, cannot be engaged uh, in the ways we engage Les Mis, Don Quixote, the Shakespeare, and all that, the other great literature. It's so much deeper. It's so much more transforming. Are you there? And I love literature. I love, I love to read the classics, all right? See, those are works of human genius, but the scriptures... I wish I had a scroll. The scriptures, this is the work of God's genius. Yeah? You know, I don't know how to say it. Okay, so I understand. Now, some of you are already saying, well, he believes that the scriptures are God. No, I don't. Uh, I understand that the scriptures aren't God, but they are God's tool for forging deep relationship with us. They are God's tool for communicating the mission of the church, whatever church you go to, if it's a Christian church, right? More than that, we were created and designed. Watch this. We were created, every one of us, and designed to encounter him through a word, through language. In the beginning was the word, And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. I'm preaching on this this week on Thursday down at the conference in One Focus. And it just occurred to me, there's no faith system on the earth that has a Word like we have the Word. Uh There's an equivocation between the Word that I'm holding in my hands and the very person of Jesus himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. His kingdom will have no end. 
I mean, did you think about that? Like, you know, Hinduism, I understand, Hinduism and Buddhism have, have mantras that are chanted. There's a Zen koan that's chanted by a monk or a guru chanting a mantra. But look, I practiced Buddhism before I became a Christian. Those things, they're treating those words like amulets or charms to be able to generate some magic. This, we engage this with faith. We engage it with reason. We engage it by nature with rationale. It's impossible not to engage it in, in, intellectually and, and, not, and, and, and engage it as it was meant to be engaged. We were designed to interact with the word. How do I know that? Because we all speak words. <laughs> Monkeys don't do that. And I understand the, the, all the studies about chimpanzees and language and signage and parrots and all those things. No species does what we do. I'm, we, have it, we do it because it's, it's part of God's plan for us, but that design gives us the capacity to engage God through his word. So, um, you know, I, I really believe that part of the design of the purposes of God is to engage God and the power of God. Now, this is really important because the power of God accompanies the word. Um, before I was a Christian, when I was in the process of coming to I don't have, look, I don't, I don't have a date where I answered an altar call and, and, you know, and like, I don't have like a Saturday, Saturday evening at 10 p.m. at such and such a church. I answered a, uh, an altar call and at 9 p.m. I wasn't a Christian, but at 11 p.m. I, you know, I was, you know, it's, it, you don't have that. It was a process. I had to, it was germinated in me and one day I kind of woke up to the reality that I am a believer in Jesus Christ. And he is my God, my Lord, my Savior, and my King. That was a process I had to go through. Before or while I was going in that process, uh, Trish and I were up at uh, St. Anne de Beaupre, which is a, a Catholic shrine in, in, in uh, between, or north of Quebec. Yes, yeah, north of Quebec City. And we were there. And while I was walking through the, the cathedral there, which is on a huge plain, uh, the Plains of Abraham along the St. Lawrence River. I was walking along there and, and I saw a, a chapel off to the side of St. Teresa of Jesus or St. Teresa called St. Teresa the Little Flower in Catholic homage, you know. And so I went in and I was looking around and we, we walked out of, the, uh, out of the cathedral and walking along the plains. There was no tree anywhere. There was no vegetation anywhere. It was a huge field, if you will, that, that went down to the, to the St. Lawrence River. And as I was walking down, Trish says to me, so what was St. Teresa known for? All these Catholic saints got a gig. And so I said, well, when she died, roses fell from heaven. That was the, that was the legend, you know? And I no sooner said that, that this huge, dry, ugly bush from nowhere fell at my feet. Now I'm, I'm looking and immediately, I, I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know the Holy Spirit. Immediately, the, what I would say now was the Holy Spirit fell upon me and said, that's a picture of your life. Oh, whoa, you know. But I had no word. I didn't know what to do with that. So anyway, a few weeks later, I was back. I was in Lehigh Valley doing some, some study here and, uh, at Lehigh. And, and I'm, I, I just happened, there's a Bible in my mother-in-law's house and I picked it up 
And I just opened it up, you know, just idly, you know, the way you open a phone book in those days. By the way, for those of you under 40, there were phone books at one time in the world. Anyway, so, so I opened up, I opened up and it went to Isaiah, um, Isaiah 54, 1 and following. And it said, sing, O barren one, barren one. I, I remembered immediately the barren bush that fell in front of me at St. Anne de Beaupre in Quebec. And, 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 I, and it says, sing, O barren one, for great will be the children of the barren, even more than the children of those who are married, so sing. And I, I, the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit fell on those scriptures and it went right to my heart. I knew that I was barren. I knew I had a destiny. I knew it involved people. I mean, I was idiotic in terms of my literacy with, with uh, uh, the word, but the word became flesh and the life of Jesus hit me. And it was a key moment in my coming to Christ. It was shortly thereafter that I said, I believe, huh? You know, see, that's the power of the word of God, right? That's the power of the word of God. Anyway, now I had read the scriptures before. When I was, when I was uh, about 12 years old, my parents had one of these big family Bibles that people read and stuck on a shelf on the mantle. Nobody ever touched them again. You know, one of those big things. And I remember grabbing it when I was a kid and I read through, I was only 12, I read through Genesis and I, I read all of Genesis. I read, um, I read Samuel and then I read Kings. And I read those books because they were intriguing to me. Now, none, nothing happened spiritually. I read them intellectually without encountering the power of God. I read them, well, because I was 12 years old and they had battles and swords and they had a lot of sex. So I was, you know, curious. <laughs> you know, something happened when, between the time that I read those things, so I read all the classics at the same time, and, and the time when I just idly opened the book and suddenly it was alive. And I read the word and it read me. Are you there? I read the word and it read me. So when I read the scriptures or listen to the scriptures, and I'm gonna use this word, reflectively, reflectively, the scriptures begin to read me. It's never not happened. Try it. It's never not happened. One of the reasons that the scriptures are authoritative in my life is because when I read them, there is a designed interplay between my heart and my soul. All right? This is the universal effect of reflecting, reflecting and reading the scriptures reflectively. I, ne I never met, watch this, I never met any believer who was actively in adultery and passionately seeking God in the scriptures at the same time. Come on. I mean, it, it convicts your heart. You know, God just opens up, the light shines. That goes with any other garden variety sin. For many Christians and evangelicals in particular, we approach the scriptures as if the primary function of the book is to be the rule book. Now the Bible is, look, it serves as the boundary for my attitudes. It, it allows behavior and, and doctrine. It, th those boundaries and parameters are there. It serves me by accusing me or reminding me of how impos impossibly imperfect my life is. And then it challenges me that I can be different. Huh? And so I understand the scriptures as having a lot to say about morality. And I love the scriptures, because, but I love the scriptures because they are the rule book that they're not the rule book only. 
The scriptures are a portal for the Holy Spirit uh, uh, to show me the limitless possibilities in God. And when I read the scriptures, look, when I, when I read the scriptures, when I read that book, it's like the wardrobe in Narnia, you know? The kids go into the wardrobe, but it just keeps going in and in and in and in. And what you thought was a door in the back of the wardrobe, there's no limit to where you can go because Jesus is there. Aslan is there, yeah? It's, it's that kind of thing. So the job the scriptures were inspired to do is God's whole job of increasing the kingdom in every one of us. Hallelujah. These days, every morning I get up. Now, this is kind of a testimony message, you know. Every morning I get up and I stumble down the stairs, especially because my hip's out right now. I stumble down the stairs and I grab a coffee. I sit down and I turn on the Bible. <laughs> I used to open the Bible. I turn on the Bible and I go to my, my devotional application is called um, version. That's it. If you don't have a version on your, on your, I mean, I've used it for a couple of years. It's just that I don't recognize the app name. I mean, I turn, I turn on version, and there's my daily reference. It used to be, I used to have different devotionals, but there's a little teaching on the front of it. And then I have two or three scriptures that I access every day. Beyond that, it takes about 10 minutes and it defines the rest of the morning. Are you there? See, you can go to bed 10 minutes earlier, get up 10, or go to bed 10 minutes uh, earlier and get up 10 minutes earlier. And even if you have kids and all that nasty stuff, you can still do this, yeah? <laughs> There's special demons for mornings with kids. So look, I, I had a lot of kids, I know. All right. <laughs> all right. Okay. So one can't refl cannot reflectively read the scriptures and remain ordinary in their own eyes. See, when I interact with the scriptures, it tells me who I am, but it tells me who I am in God. Every day, every day. So I can't read them and not think more of myself. Yeah, it's that kind of things. Because we encounter God through the scripture, we gain a perception of who we are in the eyes of God, that he intensely loves us. Huh? The Holy Spirit is attentive to us as we read the scriptures. We react to the attentiveness of the Holy Spirit, and that's the beginning of transformation. That's what happens. Um, how many saw the movie Mozart? You know, the old one. Yeah, yeah, the old one. Mozart is great. Mozart was was such a genius, and he he was he was like he was so um, unchristian. Uh, and yet writing on all these Christian themes that his primary competitor was Salieri. And Salieri, you know, Salieri just couldn't get over the fact that God would bless Mozart the way he did. You know, <laughs> how many been there, yeah? And so, so Salieri's, uh, when, he, when he sees Mozart's Figaro, the opera Figaro, he's like, I can't do that, you know. How can, how can God let him do that? That's not fair, you know, are you there? And, and his comment is this, he says, he has taken ordinary people, chambermaids and servants and barbers, and he has made them gods and heroes. See, that's what God does with this, yeah? He takes us and makes us gods and heroes. Now, I know we're not God, you, you, you know what I'm saying, all right? So now our modern post, in postmodern cultures, all the art tends to make our gods and heroes profane, 
nasty people, yeah? That's why we need this thing. So I was thinking about what I'm about to say carefully, and the truth is I've never met anyone who maintained a really unhealthy perspective of themselves that reflectively read the scriptures daily. I mean, and really interacted with God that way. God's word is a powerhouse of transformation. <sighs> and then that brings me to the issue of how we know the Bible is true. And I, you know, I could have come here and preached on the word of God and talked about history and the assembling of the word of God and the closing of the canon. Canon means all the words that are included in the scriptures and whether, you know, whether the church created the Bible or whether God created the Bible and all those kinds. They're great arguments and they're all really important, but it's much more important that the authority of the scriptures is something that I encounter personally in my life in order to bring it into the, to the reckoning of the church, yeah? You know, I, what I'm, and I'm not taking a shot at Catholic and Orthodox people because I love my Catholic and Orthodox brothers and sisters, but their doctrine tends to be that the tradition of the church and the scriptures are co-equal in authority. And, you know, when I have an argument with them, they usually say something like this. They say, well, the church created the Bible. And because, you know, in the third century, the church made the decision, I would say, under the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power of the Holy Spirit that inspired the writers, inspired the bishops to include those books that belong in the canon. Are you with me? All right. So my response to them is uh, the, the, the church no more created the Bible than Thomas Edison created electricity or Francis Crick uh, created DNA. The, creative, the creation of the Bible is solely the province of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We got nothing else like that on the earth, yeah? That we can interact with. Jesus said, look, to the Pharisees this time, he says, he says in, in John 5, 39, he says, you, you guys search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now that's true, okay? He said, that's why you do it. He says, but it is these scriptures that testify about me and you're unwilling to come to me so that you may have life, right? So there's this equivocation. In other words, this thing leads us to Jesus. The life of Jesus is the life of the word and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hallelujah. Well, okay. Passion for the word of God. I wanna pray just a prayer. If everybody could stand. And I'm, I'm gonna invite uh, Katrina and and or the worship band. Do you have something to close with this morning? Good. Uh, I just wanted to do this, you know. Um, can we just uh, pray a prayer of thanksgiving for the word of God? Have gratitude for this thing called the scriptures. People, monks, monks through the centuries, both, both monks and scribes in the Old Testament and the New Testament meticulously transcribed this thing for centuries before there was a printing press so we could turn our cell phones on in the morning and read the Bible. How cool is that, yeah? And, and, and I just want to thank God for the maintenance and gratitude for his word. And then I'm going to ask us to give, to, I'm going to ask God to give us uh, an anointing, a, a presence of the Holy Spirit to celebrate his word and to have passion for his word. Is that okay? Let's pray. 
Well, just just, uh, join with me in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, you don't have to repeat after me. The Catholic thing's done for the moment. (laughs) But maybe we'll do that in a second. All right. So, so, all right. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just ask, uh, with my brothers and sisters, we ask together that you send your Holy Spirit into our lives, into our day-to-day meanderings, we go to work and school. Lord, would you inject in us this morning a new passion for the presence of God in the scriptures? Lord, would you give us uh, the life of your spirit through the words that we read? We thank you for language. We thank you for the word. We thank you that we have a word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, God. We thank you, Lord, that we have access to you, that every day we have a storehouse, a treasure, a repository, a battery of, of, of life and spirit that can take us through our days. God gives this church, in the name of Jesus, a new passion for the authority and the word, the word of the living God like we've never had before. Lord, as we transition into new leadership, as we transition into to a, a new uh, coming of intergenerational, intergenerational play between us all, Lord, we pray that the next generation would love the word even more than we do because of the position and the centrality of the scriptures in this church. And we thank you, God. We, we thank you that it tells us how to live and tells us Uh, how to love and all those things. But Lord, we thank you because you're in it and we can counter you in it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.